Thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. With me, as always, to my right, Alex Collins. Hey, everyone. Thanks, Ryan. So uh, in a previous podcast, we were talking about protection of income, and that was specifically around disability insurance. And in today's conversation, um, we want to talk about protection of income in the event of everyone's favorite topic, premature death. (laughs) Yeah, Everyone loves this topic. So those of you driving right now, I know you almost maybe got in an accident with, with overexcitement of this topic. Um, however, we do get a lot of questions around uh, the different types of life insurance that are out there, how much life insurance is out there, uh, what's the cost of life insurance. And so we're, we thought we'd have just a 20, 25 minute conversation around that. So that's today's podcast. Um, before we dive into the types of life insurance that are out there, the, the most common question I think we get is how much life insurance should I get? Yeah, and it, well, and it's it's a difficult question to answer, to, to answer, and at the same time, it's really, really easy to answer. It's difficult because of all of the stuff that's out there in terms of how to go calculate it and doing needs-based analysis and, and things of this nature. And at the end of the day, we really need to think about what is the design of life insurance. And and for you guys, we can think about it in, in really kind of three different ways. Um, one as just a a member of the family and there we're looking at income replacement. So making sure that we are appropriately replacing your income insurance is designed to replace what's lost let's replace your income. Yeah. There's a common, we hear it sometimes where we'll actually hear someone say, well, I don't want to be worth more dead than alive. Insurance companies won't allow that to occur. Yeah. They, they won't allow it to occur. Otherwise there'd be a lot of spouses sleeping with one eye open out there. That's a joke compliance. Uh, <laughs> um, to Alex's point, I'm going to use me as the example here. If something happens to me, the income that was coming in the door to my family stops. Yeah. Right. If I don't have a business, right. The business, maybe the business continues to, to fund my family's resources, but if I'm not in the business, how efficient is the business in the end? It's still, it still is a hit to the family. So what would my wife want or my family want if from a financial perspective, like emotionally, this is off the charts, right? The last thing I also want to my family have to deal with is any financial like issues because I'm not here. And my wife would say, well, if you're not here, I definitely want my our kids and our lifestyle to remain the same. Yep. And that's typically what we hear. And now we hear people regurgitate a whole bunch of stuff that they've read online or have heard in terms of trying to calculate this need. And it's almost the exact same conversation that we have with folks when we're talking about retirement. And for whatever reason, 
people think about dying prematurely as significantly different from retirement, and they also have a tendency of thinking about it as a shorter term, uh, a shorter in length time frame than retirement, which just confuses me from a standpoint of like, okay, you didn't make it to retirement, and so why are we only planning for ten years or fifteen years? Yeah, yeah. It, the so you brought up traditional needs approach and. I was taught in that capacity when I first got in the industry. I think you were too. too. Yeah. And so what that needs approach was, was this, I would literally sit down with, with people and say, okay, how much do you have in debts? Do you have a mortgage? Do you have student loans? Do you have credit cards? Um, how much do you have in assets? And then I'd say, okay, how much uh, do you want to send your kids to college? Uh, and then the net, and this is the question that to this day, like I'm, like floored that I ask and even more floored that they didn't look at me with some like crazy look. And the question was, how much do you want to leave your spouse to live on? Like how many years of income do you want to have her so she can get by? That was literally the language that came out of my mouth. And like, I'm tensing up. You can't see me on (laughs) right now, but literally I've got a fist right now. I'm tensing up over that question because how in the world do you answer that question and even scarily, why wasn't I getting the weird look? And it's because this is found on the internet. It's common practice. It's common practice. And in the end, what's happening? The breadwinner, or it doesn't even have to be the breadwinner. If you're living off both spouses' income, if one of the income goes away, how much of that do you need to live the current lifestyle? There's very few people we come across that it's the answer isn't all of it. Yeah. It, and let's describe that for, for just a minute. First, we need to take a look at, all right, how much of our income are we spending? Whatever percentage that is. Then whatever percentage of our income are we saving? Whatever that number is. Because if we're saving it, we're saving it for a purpose. It's not being used today, but it's designed to be used in the future. I'm going to say it another way. What amount of money are you just putting underneath your mattress and don't care that it's there? Or can you just light on fire? Yeah. Because you don't need the money. Really, the only component that changes is expenses that are specifically dedicated to that person that are 100% going away. And we also then need to take into account, are there any new expenses that are occur because we lost that person? Yeah, we don't know how that person passed away. You know, if that person had cancer, what medical bills came from that? Well, I wasn't even thinking about it from that standpoint. I was simply thinking about it from a standpoint of like, okay, if if I pass away, what are the extra costs that my wife is going to incur in, you know, helping with childcare, doing some of the errands, all the various different things that I do that provide value to my family above and beyond just bringing in an income? there are going to be extra costs that she incurs because I'm no longer there. The The things that are going to be saved in my family are less cost in the way of going to sporting events. Like she'll be able to get rid of my Sounders season tickets, the car payment for my car. And that's about, like, she'll save maybe 20. Well, how often do you go to the fridge at night? Yeah, 20% on the food bill. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, is that 
like it's not going to be cut in half because there's some efficiencies that are picked up when you're feeding more than one person. Um, you know, when we take a look at like utility costs and things of that nature, like just because the lights are on and there's two of us in the room doesn't mean that half of the cost is mine and half of the cost is her. If I'm not there, she's still got the lights on. That's still a hundred percent of the cost. So the point that we're getting at here is you need to look at it from that financial perspective of the income that is lost, not necessarily a needs-based analysis. And so typically we show clients, okay, if something happens to you, this is what lifestyle starts to look like. And we have graphs and, and we show them the numbers and, and then they make their decision based off that information. I get the elephant in the room is, well, Ryan and Alex, you're right. Like the income did go away, but how much is that going to cost? right to protect yourself. And that's a huge piece. And that's a conversation to have. But let's look at it from a concept. And let's look at not even concept, let's look at how your life is really affected, then base your decisions off of that and cost rather than what's the minimum that I need. Well, and what's the bigger cost losing a $100,000 income for 15, 20, 30 years, or $50 a month? That that's not a choice, right? Yeah, but again, it's it's so much of the unknown. But again, basis. The point that we're trying to get across here is the income went away. That's what we're trying to replace. Look at it from that perspective. Okay. So now that we've discussed that, let, let's move on to the types of policies out there. Well, before we leave that topic, that that is always the first choice that should be made is what is the appropriate amount of insurance to have. And you're right, cost is a component of that. Otherwise, we'd just take as much, like if it were all free, we'd take as much as the insurance company would provide for us. So f first figure out the amount, then from there, we can go and start talking about type. So when we talk about types, and we're gonna keep this high level for today's podcast, we'll have another podcast going into the weeds of the individual, because there are a ton of different life insurance style policies out there. We're gonna keep this very high level, very simple for today's conversation. And the first um, policy is what they would call a term insurance policy. And a term insurance policy, it, it's, it's in force for a term. And that term is typically 10, 15, 20, or 30 year time periods. Meaning at the end of that time period, if you bought a 20 year term policy, the policy expires. And what happens at that point is you're oftentimes able to renew it, but the rates will go up and they'll go up dramatically. You're only able to renew these policies until a set age, usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 85 sorry, 70 to 85, depending upon the carrier, depending upon the type of coverage and uh, like whether it was a 10 year term or a 20 year term, et cetera. And there's also annually renewable term where every year it renews. Each of these policies functions a little bit differently and the insurance company is going to assume that if you're healthy, you're gonna go back and reapply, which is why the costs go up dramatically at the end of the term or the term expiring is because they're assuming that the reason why you're not going back and reapplying is because you're not in good health. Yeah. Which brings us to, uh, in terms of cost, term insurance is the, the cheapest or least cash flow required 
to purchase that type of policy because in the end, and this is, it's, it's horrible for me to say, but let's just call it out. If you got approved for life insurance by the insurance carrier from a health perspective, like the chances of you passing away prematurely are quite slim, right? You can still get hit by the number five bus, right? There's reasons why you still want the life insurance because we don't know what can happen. And then the other statistic around this is, and I don't know the exact number, but it's something around like less than 2% of these policies ever pay out. Yeah, which means this is the biggest money maker for insurance carriers because they they don't typically pay out because they either expire or people cancel them and they're just not in you know they're not lasting a person's entire life so they make a lot of money which is why it's also so cheap is because they don't pay out that often and it's not that insurance companies are denying claims or anything of that nature it, it's that not at all there, there isn't we need to protect against the what ifs and it's something where it's not often that someone passes away when they're young and healthy and so as they get older their health changes which then allows the insurance company to start charging more money after the term has expired and so now like at some point we cancel the policy and you know either self-insure or just decide hey it's too expensive we can't you know, have this coverage anymore. And then inevitably someone passes away when they have no coverage. Right. And the only reason I bring it up is for, for you, the listener to understand why is it so cheap, right? Like if you really think about this in your, if, if let's just say the policy is $600 a year, so it's 50 bucks a month, right? And you're getting, I'm making up numbers here, $500,000 death benefit, right? You pay your first month premium, you give the insurance company $50. If you pass away that month or that the very next day, the insurance company is writing a check for $500,000 to the beneficiary. Like that's huge. That's a big risk from the insurance company's perspective. And the reason it's only $50 a month is the risk of it actually occurring or actually paying out at to our statistics we were just pointing out, it's actually not very high. Right. But you bring up a good point when one of the easiest ways to think about whether this is expensive or inexpensive is to think about it from the standpoint of flipping it around and saying, okay, are you willing to accept $50 a month for the next 20 years and put yourself on the hook for paying someone $500,000? Right. And it's the pooling aspect that has the insurance company be able to do this. A hundred percent. It's looking at actuarial science and looking at the law of large numbers. And, and really, the insurance companies have done a ton of work and have a lot of big data to be able to figure out, like, OK, what's the likelihood of someone passing away? And it's the fact that they're able to pool thousands, hundreds of thousands of people together because they don't they don't know who is going to pass away. They know that some people are. So the more people that they have, the more that they know their numbers are going to work out. So that that's term insurance, right? So let's move on to a permanent insurance uh, type of policy. And we're going to discuss two main types of permanent insurance policies. One is called universal life insurance policy. One is called a permanent life, in, or I'm sorry, a whole life insurance policy. Um, these two policies act very differently and 
when you look them up online through different sources, they actually, I've seen it where it's actually confusing as to which policy the author is actually talking about. Very. They oftentimes get spoken about as they're one and the same, and they are not. They are both permanent insurance, which is designed to last your entire lifetime. And each of these types, universal and whole, have various different versions of them. And, you know, because nothing in our world is simple, the insurance industry has overcomplicated things to the point where it, it is almost a second language to try and understand how these different things work. So let's try to explain it and let's just keep it ultra simple um, for it. And so universal life, let, let's, let's start there. So again, it, it lasts your entire life um, and it provides a death benefit, just like the term insurance. Um, the premium is typically higher than a term insurance policy because it lasts your entire life. And then there's one other piece to add into the pie here and that is this style of policy builds a secondary, call it bucket of money, that they call cash value that grows tax-free and you can get tax-free access to it if, if it's done appropriately. And so there's, there's an asset there that you can also grow and people like it because of the, the tax-free um, implications of, of the money growth. Yeah, the biggest complaint that people have about life insurance is that you're betting against yourself with permanent insurance, whether it's universal or whole, you're actually betting on yourself because now you have this asset that's growing cash value. The One of the biggest benefits of universal life policies is that they are incredibly flexible. One of the biggest detriments of universal life policies. They are incredibly flexible. <laughs> exactly, and people don't, oftentimes don't understand exactly how they work. So the way in which a universal life policy works is every year the cost of insurance changes. It is built on annually renewable term. To a certain extent, the insurance company has flexibility in what they charge. Now there's limits on what they can possibly charge inside the policy. The other component is the only amount that they're charging insurance on is the amount of death benefit minus the amount of cash value. If you've got a million dollar policy and you have $900,000 of cash value, you only have $100,000 of insurance. And so universal life policies, for the most part, there are a couple exceptions, are designed to have high cash value. And if they're it, the illustrations are oftentimes designed to build cash value. And we can talk about the pros and cons of illustrations until we're blue in the face. I mean, that's an entire Let's not of go podcasts. there. That's a whole other podcast. Well, that, that's a series of podcasts. Um, but the, the basic concept is the more dollars that you have in cash value, typically the less that you have at risk the, the less amount of insurance. And so the design of these things is as the cost of the insurance goes up, the fact that you have less actual at risk or less insurance means that the, the design of the policy is that the total cost stays right about the same as you move through time. And that can change 
the cost of the policy. Yes, because that's one of the levers that the insurance company has. The other component is you've got flexibility in the premiums that you pay. You pay less premiums, you're going to build less cash value. You build less cash value, you have more internal costs. So there's flexibility on the consumer side. There's flexibility on the insurance company side. So again, it it's important to understand that, that differentiation between a, a universal policy and say a term policy. One lasts a whole life, one gets cash value as an asset, the other is just strictly insurance. One is designed to last your whole life. Fair, right? And to Alex's point around flexibility, if you lower your costs, like you can actually change the premium that you're putting into the policy, premium being dollars you're putting in. If you lower that, that can affect whether or not that policy actually lasts your entire life. So that's what we mean by the con side of the flexibility. So let, let's jump over to whole life. Uh, so whole life insurance policies, uh, again, are designed to be permanent life insurance to last your whole life, right? From a cost perspective or cash flow perspective, it's higher cash flow typically than universal life and term insurance, depending on the structure. Definitely higher than term insurance. It, it, it is higher than the recommended amount inside of universal life, but not necessarily higher than the max. It builds a cash value bucket, tax-free growth with tax-free access. The design of the policy, though, has more guarantees, meaning the flexibility on the insurance company side dramatically less is dramatically less. Right. So you're paying the premium as long as you're paying the premium. You you're, have coverage. You have coverage. And the cash value has certain guarantees built inside of that as well. And so it's important to understand how these guarantees come in. Because the funding of the whole life, the cash value growth, and how this goes into your portfolio, that's where you want to make sure you're talking to a, uh, you know, someone that understands how to put that into a portfolio to make it work as efficient as, as it can for you. And again, there's nothing necessarily right or wrong with a universal life policy or a whole life policy. It's really how it's used in your strategy and what you're trying to accomplish with it. So making sure that you you have a an overall strategy um, and you're not just saying oh this is a great tactic we love the fact that we have a death benefit we love the fact that we have tax deferred growth tax free access these are all good things let's do this okay well how does that fit into the rest of the picture that question needs to be answered before you decide which tactic you're using and to go along with that, when you're talking about tactics, so oftentimes the comparison that we'll see out there is, well, if I don't put X amount of dollars into that universal or that whole life insurance policy, I could put it in the in the market, right, in some sort of investment like stock or something like that, and I have a chance of getting a higher rate of return. So I'd, I'd rather buy the term and then invest the difference. And now we're not comparing apples to apples because the risk profiles are almost certainly different. I say almost certainly because one of the versions of both whole life and universal life is variable. And if you put 100% variable, then you've got roughly the same component in there. Right. But take the variable aside, and let's just say it's a strict universal policy and a, and a strict whole life without the variable component. To your point, it's not apples to apples comparison. 
Correct. right? You're comparing a stock with something that's closer to maybe a bond. Right. And that risk profile is drastically different. And you're not taking into consideration taxation. And you're not taking into consideration different strategies to say, okay, what is the most efficient strategy with your money? Again, this isn't saying that you should do permanent or you should do term. It's for you to understand. Make sure you're looking at everything holistically and how all of your money comes together in a strategy rather than, well, if I take this dollar and I put it in a vacuum, this makes more sense because there, there is no such thing as a vacuum in the real world. Yeah, none of us live in a vacuum. We all live in real world. And so we need to take a look at, okay, what are the other either intended or unintended consequences of our decisions? And so looking at it from a comprehensive standpoint, looking at it from a holistic standpoint of, okay, what is the existence of this allow us to do differently with our other assets? And that can have a profound effect on the rate of return of the strategy compared to the rate of return of the tactic. So let's end on this. So three takeaways we hope you get from today. When looking at life insurance, first, focus on the amount that you want. Second, focus on the type. And then third, which is kind of incorporated in the type, frankly, is the cost or the cash flow or the strategy that makes the most sense for you and your and your family and portfolio. Yeah, uh, understanding where where the strategy f- comes in and you're not we don't want to use this as a tactic. We want to use this as part of a a larger strategy. So we hope today's podcast was valuable for you. Uh hopefully the life insurance topic wasn't too scary. I know it's it, it is it's not a fun topic to talk about. Let's just be clear on that. However, it is an important topic to talk about. So, uh as as usual, Please uh, give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you're listening to us, as well as go to our website, uh, holistic-finance.com, and you can message us there with any questions you'd like for us to talk about on the podcast, or feel free to reach out to us um, in terms of uh, your own personal situation, should that make sense. You know, we want the podcast to be valuable for you, but also know if you do want to talk to us on a personal level, uh, we are available for that. So... Have yourself a good rest of your day. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Please keep in mind the primary purpose of life insurance is the death benefit. Permanent life insurance consists of two types, whole life and universal life. Cash value grows in a participating whole life policy through dividends, which are declared annually by the company's board of directors and are not guaranteed. Cash value grows in a universal policy through credited interest and decreased insurance costs. The cash value of both policy types benefits when the policyholder pays an amount above the required premium. Cash value depends on the type of product, the face amount, 
the time and force, and length and amount of premium payments. Cash value accrued over the years in your life insurance policy will be an asset at your disposal that you may withdraw or borrow from to assist you in financing a life event or even help supplement your income during retirement. The withdrawals you make or any outstanding loans or loan interest you have will then simply be accounted for in the payout of your policy's death benefit. Contract guarantees are guaranteed solely by the claims paying ability and the strength of the issuing insurance company. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-89801, expiration November 2021.